Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. You know, I don't know what your definition of a trap is, but being trapped with Priscilla Presley doesn't really fit my my mental image of what a, a, a trap is. I also have a vision of Jeff Kenny doing his Elvis impersonation now that he's a, a Las Vegas guy. So um, I think that would be kind of interesting, cape and all. I think he should do it. Yeah. Why not? I mean, you're there. Next Elvis convention? You could be the angry Elvis. Well, I don't care how good looking she is. There's some guy somewhere who's sick of her shit. <laughs> <laughs> really? That how it goes? I was go? in the I was in Twenty Nine Palms and the uh, the coyote the office back there. Somebody had written that on a whiteboard. Stayed up there for like five years. When uh, James MacArthur was running the uh, you know he wasn't there for five years, but when he was when he was the three for Coyote Three, that thing was up on the wall. And uh, truer words are never written. Uh, <laughs> Well, thank. No matter thank, how good looking she is, hey, no how hot she seems. Thank some God that thank God that doesn't apply the other way, though. Right. No, no, hey, exactly. no, hey, no matter how 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 ugly he is, right? Yeah. yeah. And no matter right. how sick of his shit you are, hang in there with him, right? The, yeah, uh, I think I just saw that MacArthur just retired. Thirty year man. I, did he go through IOC when, or? I don't. No, he, he was. Uh, I don't know. He was in the class of Jason Bohm, and those guys were the ones oh. that Major Allen took to uh, to Twenty Nine Palms in like ninety. The first time, early ninety one. Yeah, the first early time 91. Yeah, the, when Major Allen. I mean, you know how we would have this running monologue and you know discussion over the, our tactical radio net, and we did that in Quantico. It's how we ran the problems. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, shut up! I'm doing this. Like, you know, and so it was not. It was more of a kind of a cell phone conversation than it was tactical traffic. And so if range control dropped onto that frequency. I mean, they didn't do anything in Quantico. So we're out in 29 Palms and Major Allen, right, who's about who's about as straight as narrow as, as there are as there is on the planet. He never fucked around on the radio with us. So we're doing something and all of a sudden he comes on the radio and he <laughs> And he starts fucking around. Like, hey, bro. And he said something, right? And I think he made one comment. One comment. And Bear Matt, who's range control out on out in 29 Palms, they were monitoring the net. And they just came down and said, uh, person uh, on this net, please identify yourself. <laughs> right? And it's like <laughs> the kid, right, who never does anything, does one thing, right? And then the rest of us go, oh. <laughs> and he said, this is a... Uh, IOC after all, and then do you remember we were doing the raid? We had finished the raid out there at uh, OCS. We had all these extra uh, flashbang, you know, sim, uh, yes. party sims. And Major Allen was <laughs> there throwing. We were throwing in that pond there, Buffalo Pond. And up comes uh, out of the fucking brush. <laughs> out comes uh, Colonel Kelly. It was. It was. Uh, I was IOC. I was. Uh, I was working for Will at, at uh, EI, EI Company. company. And we were out there because I had some EIs out there on the objective. And uh, he was just, like you say, for the first time, 
he's actually playing a little bit and gets caught by out comes CO the basic school. You know. He didn't do he just said, Oh, what the hell is doing? It's just oh, this just- black cloud. Whenever he strayed like and I, and here we are running amok most of the time, right? And yeah. And uh, but we're you know we're known criminals. We know how to do these things. And uh, you know, unless, unless, except for Timmy, who's like hacking down trees at the cyclic grade out on R seven. But that aside, um, you know, we knew how to look over. You know, our an left- impressive demonstration of the media machine gun. I thought it was an excellent evolution. It was. You know what? It was imp- It was an impressive demonstration, no doubt. Right of the penetration yeah. power of the M sixty. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't well, know how many trees did you actually knock down that day? Do you oh, remember? Dozens. Well, we like that, that area where we used to clear out. There was a nice reverse slope behind it, and Killian was always saying, "God, if we just got rid of those trees, we could do reverse slope machine gun." And I said, well, "And I had the initial machine gun package, just a." And so I said, "Hey, I'll take care of this for you." And I, just, I set them back there. I pulled everybody back, did it all by the book. It looked great, I thought. But uh, but then the yes, yeah, see, that, I was the. That was my problem, right? And so we're doing it. Timmy doesn't like clear that with me that he's going to pull him back into the tree line. And, and, and so, you know, when you're running the whole problem, there's position safety officers and Timmy was a machine gun position safety officers, but there's mortars going on. Um, did, I, did, I don't know if we shot a dragon that day, but I mean, there was all kinds of things in this problem. And so I don't, I wind up getting behind the mortar positions at some point when the machine guns go to shoot, and all of a sudden I see all these trees starting to fall. And I'm like, what in the fuck is going on over there? And they continue to fall. So i like, yeah, maybe I should walk over there and find out what Hammerhead's doing. And so I look at him, and he gives me the thumbs up. Hey, it's all good. And I'm like, I don't think it is, man. I don't think you're supposed to knock down this many trees because we've never done this. And he looked at me like, what? And I, well, and it he, gets loblolly pines, bro. And then you had a tactical position for the machine guns. I mean, it's what you got to do, right? I thought. Evidently. Right. Which yeah. which got him in, what, your non-punitive letter, non-punitive letter of caution? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to go out there in the weekend and police all that crap up by myself. It took a long time. There was a lot of <laughs> There was a lot of stuff. But you know what my thought was watching it? Like, those trees have no impact. On the cone of fire. That was exactly the de- the point I thought. Well, I, hey, point well made. It was, in my opinion, it was worth the nip lock you got because I learned from it. Yeah, and we always used that position afterwards. Because after I cleared out all the stumps, it was great. Go. One small step for man, one giant yeah. step for mankind. Yeah, I wanted to be tactical. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyway, we digress. The um. Photographs are back uh, earlier this week. I'm minding my own business as I normally do, and I get a text message. I look; it's from Will Cosentini. And uh, wait, I didn't even do introductions. Um, Tim Lynch joins us from McAllen, Texas. How you doing, Tim? Surviving the flood of immigrants, just fine, thank you. All right, um, Jeff Kenny. I don't even know where Jeff is, but it looks like a surfboard in the background. So maybe San Clemente. Yes, I am. I'm in San Clemente. All right. Right. I'm in uh, I'm in Animal Kingdom, <laughs> and uh, and Will Cosentini looks like he's in his normal spot in his home. Is that true? That's true. I'm in the suburbs of Kansas City, in an unidentified location. In the... No, this one can be identified. It can be. 
Yeah, the problem is when you travel east as a normal armed citizen, perhaps you're committing felonies, so you don't want oh, to be identified. Hypothetically, were you armed? Hypothetically. Were you armed? Only. Were you so armed? Got it. Um, so I get this article, and uh, it's a continuation of a discussion we had, I don't know how long how long ago, but we had a discussion about, okay, are you really sure you understand um, what's going to happen when you take all identifying, and I think it was William that made the point, if you want it to be pure, then take all the identifying information off and just evaluate the package. But are you willing to live with it, right? So that was the question that was posed, uh, what, about a year ago? <laughs> about a year ago. So, Will, you want to you summarize the article and tell us where we're at now? Are we, are we willing to live with what complete blind evaluation uh, promotion boards give us? Yeah, so so the the point of this whole thing is is that we removed photographs in promotion boards. And to remind our seven listeners how promotion boards work is uh, everyone's sitting in the room and there's a package that is all of your fitness reports and all your personnel data. And there's one person in that room responsible to brief your package. When your time comes up, your picture appears on the wall, and then they give the brief. And there's significant research that says people form opinions based on looking on someone's face in like less than 10 seconds. And so by forming that opinion, you sort of poison your ability to just evaluate objectively the information of the person's career. So it was a very logical thing to do is to remove those pictures from the promotion boards. It's something that we should have done, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and, and the theory behind having the picture there is we need to inspect the picture to make sure that the person is within height and weight standards, even though every commanding officer has to sign off that the person is within height and weight standards. So we basically, by having a picture of every person on a promotion board, we indict the integrity of every commanding officer out there. But I digress. So apparently we took the pictures out, and now um, we are not getting the desired uh, minority representation in the people that are being promoted. And it's uh, it's really it's really um interesting alarming and somewhat predictable uh the uh the response to this so just quote number one and i i want to get uh want to get his name because i don't know him brigadier general uh williamson who is A.T. Williamson, Director of Manpower Plans and Policy Division, says, um, the American people need to know their military service reflects those that they support and defend. I First, prove it. Right? The American people don't care what their football team looks like. They care about the end result. So maybe... NFL football is more important than the national defense. 
then it's an operational imperative that we have a more diverse force. And by diversity, they strictly mean race, creed, color, national origin. Um, it's challenging. It's a full, it's fully of problem sets. I'm not sure about the English that one group, that one team are not going to be able to solve alone. We need to be able to open up the diversity of thought of experience of background to try and attract those people who are going to help us solve those very complex problems. So this Brigadier General, probably about a 26, 27, 28 year veteran of the Marine Corps, posits Hold that. Hold on. Graduated from Naval Academy in May of 1994. 27-year um, veteran. Okay. And uh, I met him as a uh, when he was a commanding officer of 9th Com Battalion. Uh, I think he went on to become the director of OCS. And I would tell you, an outstanding officer. One of the one of the one of the best that I served with as an operation as the operations officers for MEF headquarters group. So I'll I'll just tell you that I I know where I know where this is going right and because you know I read the same thing and 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 what yeah what go, he go says right. is that we want people who have a diversity of thought and of experience and background. But then to get those people, we are going to pick them based on the way they look. I cannot think of a more prejudiced, racist way to think about people. I can look at your picture and based on your picture, I know the way you think and I know your background. That is the most morally disgusting thought that you could ever have. And the idea that we're we're somehow equating these personality thought type uh, characteristics to someone's race, national origin, et cetera, fits in with Jim Crow. And I, I fundamentally don't understand how people have swallowed this liquor uh, and they can espouse it in, in public forums. And the Navy admiral is just as bad. He basically says it's a meritocracy. We're only going to pick the best of the best, but we're very clear with our language that we want them to consider diversity across all areas. And therefore, I think having a clear picture on this makes it easier. So actually, our data show that would support adding photos back in. So he says it's a meritocracy. The only way to merit, make a meritocracy is to make the process blind so that you're picking exclusively on the record. On merit. That, on is, merit. that is by definite meritocracy. But yeah. And then he I says, think... we're only going to pick the best of the best, but we need the picture to be right. able to do that. It's, the truth is, I think the bizarre. truth is, well, the truth is what you said in the beginning, Will, that uh, you, they're not trusting the commanding officers to give an honest assessment of the guy's height and weight. That's what it comes down to. It doesn't have anything to do with diversity. They can't trust the because these guys don't want to say the guy's fat. No, no. but Jeff, in the end, that's the purpose of the picture. But the right. manpower people at the top are unhappy with how – the numbers came out based on some right. formula of we want 
race, creed, color, representation in the force, as opposed to, again, nobody cares about the race, creed, color of their offensive line. They care. Can those guys block? They don't. The Kansas City Chiefs don't care. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't care. And their fans don't care. They care. Did we win? So somehow winning in the NFL is more important than defending the nation when it comes to personnel selection. It's bizarre. Well, that's been a problem for decades. Let me, to me, just two quick points. The word quota, right, jumps out of this. So what is next? We have an X number of promotion slots for this gender, for this color, for this ethnic group. Is that what's next? Because, because, because that's to me where it looks like this whole thing is headed. And then beyond gender, what you're saying is, right, operational excellence is subordinate and this meritocracy is subordinate to our racial makeup and our gender makeup. Okay. And that's what you're saying. So, okay, we want the best force, right? within these gender restraints and with these ethnic groups. So those that is not a meritocracy, okay, by definition. I think Will made that point. Tim? The one thing that's a fact is that you can prime decision makers by showing them photographs just before they're required to make a decision. In today's climate, you don't need a quota. You're going to get, your, you're going to get the decision makers primed to select who they think they need to select. There's no question. I mean, that's how they do surveys in sociology. It's, 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 a, it's a not disputable fact. But Victor Davis Hanson brought up another one of these unfortunate, if you ask the second level questions, which is Caucasian white males, non-Hispanic, 35% of the population, over 85% of the casualties in our more recent wars in the last 20 years. Geez, that's a disparity too. It's one which none of us care about. That's to us is ridiculous. We don't we don't track things that way, but but that's where it could be going. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate because we dealt with the racial issues in the seventies when the feeling was that the poor Hispanics and African Americans were doing a majority of the dying in Vietnam. Not true at the time. Was not true, but there was severe uh, turbulence in the ranks, and we beat that in the eighties. And I just hate to see it go back to this situation again, because if you make this forefront and everybody's conscious, it's the forefront and everybody's conscious and it ought not be. It's it's a it's a crime chain. Uh, to me, what's interesting is that there. You know, I talk about high functioning conformists, right? There is no there was no indignant, you know, op ed opinion piece that I saw relative to this. Now, maybe somebody's working on one right now, right? But I think that, you know, again, you hear that, you know, this meritocracy. Well, you know, I think we all know what a meritocracy is. And, yeah. and, the, way, and the way you get it is, is that it's blind and you earn it. And, and it's something that, that this particular officer um, – the idea that you would categorize the way people think and act based on their outward appearance is 
I mean, that is how minorities have been stereotyped uh, and been able to be discriminated against because popular thought captured minority ability to think and act in a certain way. And the idea that this country, you know, this country, we've done that for a long time. I thought we had climbed out of it and now we're going back into it. And the idea that we get someone who happens to be a minority espousing that is unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable of all the things that you would want. But now you're in this position and you're you're espousing that thought. It's insane. Well, but, but, but again, though, but it was it was predictable, though. Yes, it was predictable. Right. Yeah, we predicted it. We didn't. It was the train wreck that we predicted that we really didn't want to watch that you just can't take your eyes off of. But, it's but, yet, but yet you knew it was going to happen and you knew this would be the response, right? We're going to eliminate it. Yeah. And we, I mean, I would have to go back and listen to it, but we laughed. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no, absolutely. Hundred. This was BDA 100 over 100. Right. We predicted every single part of this. Right. And w- with no enthusiasm or pride, you know, in, in doing so, you know, but again, if it's about excellence, then there's a way, you know, to, to do it. And then I, then you have to work on, if, if you want, in the context of that, then you got more work to do someplace, you know, but, uh, but it's not a meritocracy. And, and, and again, so what you're doing is you're going to accept a lower level of performance, right, in order to be more diverse. And they should say that. And, and remember, diverse, capital D. Diverse small d is what we want. We genuinely want people from different experiences who bring different thought process to problems. Uh, That is absolutely what we want. Capital D means we slice people up by race, creed, color, national origin, sexual orientation, blah, 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 blah. And by doing that, one, you're never going to get a cohesive group because everyone understands what quota they're from. And you have no way of ensuring that you're going to get a wide range of people who think about problems in different ways and avoid groupthink and help you to get to best solutions. So you're harming yourself twice by doing okay, you guys, you remember the Rother incident? Remember the Rother incident? Right. Um, well, for those, that, for those that don't, Jeff, give them, a 30, it, yeah, give them a 30 second. The Rother incident is uh, – in 1988, at 29 Palms, during the huge live fire exercise, we used to call the combined arms exercise, um, they put road guards out to make sure that people didn't inadvertently drive into areas that might be under uh, indirect fire or even direct fire. And one of those one of those uh, road guards was left out there, and he eventually died of exposure out there in the desert. <clears throat> His name was Lance Corporal Jason Rother. But the officer in charge of doing that was a minority officer who had had been there had been attempts to make this guy not graduate from the basic school and then not be allowed to be an infantry officer because of his poor performance and training and it was overridden um and he was put out there he was relieved as a platoon commander in three two that was the battalion third battalion second marines and then he ended up as the s4 an assistant logistics officer on the staff and his job was road guards and he forgot about rother and rother died 
Now that's what happened. And we've been doing that was in 1988. So my postulation is we've been doing this type of thing, and and this type of attitude has been growing, you know, through the years. If you guys, if Timmy remembers, I know for recruiting, the officer selection uh, officer always had a quota of uh, females and uh, minority officers. It was, but if you there was no official uh, quota out there. But if you if you were an OSA, an officer selection officer, and you didn't show up with the proper, um, you know, uh, racial balance, you had, you had problems because we didn't worry about officer recruiting because there's a huge, uh, there's a huge, uh, overage of qualified males trying to become Marine officers. The problem is to get minority officers. And, um, if you didn't get enough, it was an issue. Now you yeah. think they did. So, so explain that. So again, it was an issue how because it's not something that's written down, right? Because you're not going to get told, "Hey, you need to you need to find me more minority officers," or are you? Because it's not going to be written down anywhere. Because you're, the, you're, the pushback right. on all this and and people right. are going to listen to the, to Will is like right. these old white fucks, right? Just can't let go. They just don't get it. They can't let go. That's the pushback, right? Right. And like Will says, it's diversity of diversity of of thought is what's important diversity of uh you know diversity of uh of ability is is the diversity of race is is uh absolutely you know meaningless you know it doesn't mean anything about your ability your ability is what we want you know and uh we don't care what you look like that should be the philosophy we don't care what you look like like if all the best people were black then good we'd have we'd have mostly black officers or mostly asian officers or mostly Scandinavian, you know, officers. But if the, if the uh, just like you said about pro football, the reason pro football is, is a total meritocracy is because there's large amounts of money involved, and uh, they don't perceive that with, uh, with 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 the military. They take the military's performance for granted, and they think anybody can do what we can do, especially the guys sitting up there in Congress. I think, and it's ironic because even the ones who've been in the military act that way sometimes where it isn't it isn't it's, it's uh you get put through uh training and that training is not only to teach you how to do things it's also to evaluate your ability and your character and if you come up short during that you shouldn't be allowed in because what will, the, the most tragic outcome is loss of life because of your you know your inability to be to meet the mark of performance not the mark of what you look like and if that and, 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 and i will tell you this road, if you want, if you want to know what this this whole concept of special trust and confidence is, um, I did an interview with a lawyer that ran on Monday. His name is Tim Loringer, I think, former Marine. He's representing some of the families suing BAE Systems uh, um, in in the 15th Mew Amtrak incident. Watch that. Go to that interview and watch the press conference watch those mothers get up and talk about their their kids and if you want to understand what we're talking about here what it means when you're not as good when when you're not committed to excellence because special trust and confidence is not you know is not that's on our commissioning documents it's not an arrangement with congress it's an arrangement with the american people with the mothers the fathers the families that give us their kids or husbands that we send them back to them in one piece and and for no and, and in no other condition, 
right? And and so that's what this is about, a dangerous, dangerous business that requires serious people that are up to the task. So we don't have to hear things like we've got to create a culture where people feel comfortable saying it's not unsafe. It's your, to quote Will, it's your fucking job to stand up and say it's not safe. And if you can't do that, if you're not up for that, then get the fuck out, okay? Get the fuck out. And that's what's at stake here, right? So I know we sound like old white dudes, you know, who, who, who the world has passed by. But the thought of, right, meritocracy, diversity of thought, right, that's what we're getting to here. And Jeff's right. If it turned out to be all, all black officers, so be it, man. If that's who earned that shit... Then so be it. I, if a, if women do it, I don't give a shit. But they've got to be able to do it. And when and and when we don't, and this is what's not going to get said, that we will comp- compromise the excellence of the force, right, for racial diversity. And it's, in a sense, we are going to have quotas. We're going to have a woman, a, a female, um, but it'll be called a goal. It'll be we're going to have a, a female goal that we need to hit. We're going to have a minority goal that we need to hit because we track all that shit, right? And then we're going to say meritocracy because this is what gets us there. And so, and, and again, this discussion is never going to happen in public. You're never going to hear it because they're afraid to have this kind of, you know, this kind of pointed discussion about race, gender, and operational excellence. So you'll hear the boilerplate and nobody and, and no general officer will go near this shit. Well, even back in '98, and, and my also was Kevin Norton, by the way. At second month he was there, he came up with a, a female African American lawyer, and this woman was a monster. She was awesome. That took all the heat off my also. But remember, I I tried to put in That's a South African kid. He was born in Durban, I I believe, redheaded, freckled kid, because he was an African and and American, because I couldn't. In the inner mountain west, it was very hard to find qualified applicants who weren't already having another better offer. And uh, I did that, hopefully, to, well, I wasn't really serious. I didn't think it was going to fly, but the, uh, the, the amount of pushback I got was stunning. I, I actually had to go fly to San Diego and get my ass chewed about that. But he let Paul cover me, so that was cool. Yeah, but we, I mean, this is the 90s. We've been trying forever to get as many qualified minorities as we can. In and it's just not a popular selection. Hey, look, and this, it, it, this does two things as well. When when there's this unspoken quota system, it poisons the force against all minorities and women. That's the problem. So that highly competent minorities and women have a cloud of suspicion that they were part of this quota, and that's horrible. And then the answer. To the old white man, I would put, so I've been in two industries in my life, military and railroading, very male-dominated traditional industries, and I would put my hiring statistics against anybody out there, both for quality hires and for diversity of experience and thought process, and I'll leave it to that, and anybody that wants to go toe-to-toe on numbers, I'd happily do it and expose that. And I'll give you the hearty fuck you because my numbers are better than anybody else out there when it comes to those things. And I hired exclusively on merit. And I happen to get what the 
diversity police would think of as an unbelievable hiring record for that. So, you know, it's a, this is a shame uh, because when I was uh, did the Kabul embassy, the, the guard force, we had about 250 expats, most of them Brits. And the Brits came over in clusters from whatever regiment they were from. Mixed in about that were, were, were obviously uh, uh, black guys from Britain, but the, it was never mentioned. They, the guys, if you ask them where they're from, they'd say Bristol or wherever, Leeds. There was, there was never any acknowledgement or mention about uh, Hugh at all, ever, within that British contingent. They just absolutely, because they all didn't like the Pakistanis mostly, but that was a British thing, you know. But that's what the military sh- could be and should be when you don't make it such a contentious issue. And then Will's exactly right. What about all of our friends that we served with? Guys that were uber competent. That it, you tell me Ernie King's a piece of crap and needed help uh, uh, getting to where he got? That's bullshit. You know, we can we could all we it it's, it hurts them and it's a shame. All right. And, and I just want to say it hurts them. I don't care about it. Hurts the entire force. That's exactly right. It poisons the force. I just oh, want anyway. to point out if we. If we went to no pictures in 2014, I'd be a major general right now and not on this uh, thing with you, Rubes. <laughs> look at a picture of me. Who knew he looked like a sumo wrestler with Pat Allen's head stuck on top? <laughs> Fire him. <laughs> Let's talk about Afghanistan real quick. Um, Jeff, thoughts on Afghanistan? Well, uh, it's going to shit a lot faster than even we thought. Um the, uh, it looks like Lashkar guys uh, being threatened right now. That's the capital of Helmand Province, where most of the Marine op- activities were, you know, during our time in Afghanistan. Also, Herat out there on the, near the border with Iran, and uh, and Kandahar are, are looking bad. I don't, and and so it seems to me that uh, the only thing I will say, and we kind of went through this a little bit texting back and forth, is that uh, these might be the result of deals, and like all deals in Afghanistan. Um, they're oftentimes uh, sullied by treachery. So I, th- I think what you you might see a lot of uh, get-even type murders going on. But uh, it's just like I think, you know, these are the result of deals. As soon as uh, the United States is gone, we're coming back. But the, so the, but and, and the tip off says there's no major fighting, right? Yeah. There's no major casualty events. There's, you know, a little bit of this and that, which I think we would call business disagreements where – all right, somebody said "fuck you" to the deal, so we'll go deal with him. But that's yeah. the interesting part of this: that these things are f- happening. Yes, the Taliban has morphed from being a religious uh, fanatic, uh, you know, group that they were in 2001 into basically narco uh, Islamists. You know, they're 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 in the dr- drug business that are cutting that's deals it. now with the people yeah, that right. run the cities, which we thought would happen. Yeah, and then and and then which means they don't have to go into the city. Now the question is, will that survive and will that be able to be sustained um, in the long term? Which which right. the Taliban has not been able to do. Timmy, thoughts on Afghanistan? Well, I've been getting an awful lot of contact from Afghans. Uh, there's a new visa program, a P one P two program that allows employees, not just interpreters, but employees for American sponsored projects. Uh, to come to Afghanistan, and I'm being flooded with information. One of them is, is there's about 20 T-55 tanks that the Taliban has rolling around Kandahar. The other is, is that the Taliban took Spin Boldak, that, and, and remember, that's where that uh, 
um, I'm, I'm blanking on the general's name, the guy that was assassinated, uh, Raznik. That's where Raznik was from. The Taliban rounded up that in, uh, about 600 families and killed them all, according to reports that are trickling into Kabul. That would be an incredibly large massacre. There's also been, in the last several evenings, exactly nine o'clock, Herat, Lashkar, Jalalabad, et cetera, every city, people uh, jump uh, spontaneously coming into the streets and shouting, Allah Akbar, Afghanistan is great, is an anti-Taliban protest. So I, I don't think that it's falling as quickly as we, as we think it might be. I don't think that Herat, Ismail Khan is no, uh, has got an awful lot of men under arms. The problem with Afghanistan government is they didn't want to see the militias come back, and now the militias are coming back. And so I think we're going to see a significant amount of fighting before you see that the, the cities capitulate. All right. Will, do you want to make your comment? No, no, no. First, you got to ask me the question. What's the question? The question is my thoughts on Afghanistan. Will, uh, will you give us your thoughts on Afghanistan? I, like 99.976% of the American people, haven't had a thought about Afghanistan. We don't think about Afghanistan. We don't care about Afghanistan. When prompted, some of us might be able to discover, oh, yeah, that the U.S. is doing something in Afghanistan. But it's NBC. Nobody cares. Got it. Nobody cares. Got it. All right. I understand. I've actually been doing an informal survey. Oh, my. Oh, really? Of the uh, 79 individuals that I've had more than a hello, how are you conversation with. Yes. Since the last time that we talked about this. Yes. Zero of them have brought up Afghanistan to me. And I'm going to extrapolate that to the rest of the American public. Nobody cares. Got it. All right. Your thoughts on uh, a sailor was uh, was named in a in a, in the uh, in an NCIS affidavit uh, as being charged with arson on the BHR. Thoughts on that? Well, is it Will still, or is it? Are we going? It's, no, it's still Will. Okay. Um, you know, I I read the article. Uh, from what I could tell, a guy that wanted to be a SEAL and didn't make it and described as a disgruntled sailor. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's still, it's. I mean, it's really something that one guy could set a fire that could burn that thing, you know, down to the waterline or whatever it was. Um, I guess that they had to, uh, they had to uh, release his name because they had to release the warrant. That's how it got out. They haven't given him discovery. They had him in pretrial for three months, and they let him go, and now he's not not considered a flight risk. So that also seems a little bit strange. Um, yeah, more to follow. I, I think this is not, not surprising, though, that it's someone of this sort of ilk. Um, anyways. Jeff? Yeah, I, I agree with Will there. And uh, I just want to point out that uh, it's probably a question we don't want to ask, but I think 99% of the stuff we talk about on here, nobody cares about. <laughs> and so uh, they just like the way we talk about it. You know, I mean, uh, 
they don't, I mean, they, they, that's interesting, but they don't really care about it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, but of all the things they don't care about, Afghanistan is actually one of them. <laughs> Possibly. But uh, the uh, yeah, the BHR thing, to me, it's an emotional I, – I thought that was a great ship. I mean, I was on that ship, you know, probably for about seven months total. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it really brand new LHD at that time. Um, you know, which is the biggest amphibious ship. And uh, to, I think the, it's not like you pointed out that how could one guy set the fire? Will pointed that out. I think if, what's indicted here and and what should be asked about isn't so much the guy who set the fire, although that's necessary to do because there's a crime involved. But why were they not able to put it out with the history of uh, damage control in the U.S. Navy is a history of valor, a history of success. And here, the ship is in port, it's on fire, and they just, they just can't seem to, sell, to save the thing. And now it's going to the scrapyard because of that. So I, that's really the question. Why? Why was uh, you know, the, the BHR unable to be saved? How could this one guy, in a short amount of time, manage to, to ignite a fire so devastating and cause that much damage? I think what happened is there was a lackluster effort an incompetent effort at saving that ship. That's really the, the uh, thing that needs to be looked at. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Jeff. I mean, the Japanese used to drop all kinds of bombs and torpedoes on us, and we still save ships. Ask, and ask Mac about uh, at sea. You know the uh, the damage control stuff, and, and we saw them do it working on it. Uh, it's a time. It's one of the few times we considered the sailors really working. So they did those damage control exercises. Yeah. Tim? From looking at the evidence presented in the article, I think this is bullshit. That's why that guy is free. And the reason they, well, they named him because his lawyer asked for the uh, information, the defense lawyer. But now all the heat in the world's on top of this kid's shoulders. And it mentions something about him carrying a pail and them finding three uh, plastic bottles that had a petroleum substance in them. Are you shitting me? Three drinking bottles full of diesel burns down a ship? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I'm not that familiar with NIS, but I know enough about them to know that most of the shit that they say is screwy. They're not that, that particularly proficient. And I don't care what the TV ratings are for that show. But those, the, 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 the way that's laid out sounds to me to be very suspicious. And, and, to tell, and, and it's right back to what Jeff said. Three drinking bottles full of diesel? Let's suppose it was diesel. So what? That burns down the BHR. How? That it makes no sense to me. I mean, I and I and so this kid's been singled out, and now all the heat of the world's on top of his shoulders. Obviously, three months of solitary didn't break him. Maybe because he didn't have anything to say. For all we know, I don't. I, I don't like. I don't like seeing the weight of the entire government put on top of an individual because it's ugly and it's hard to get out from under. Yeah, I gotta say though, Tim, I don't. I don't understand a conspiracy. No, no, I, I don't. I'm not saying. I'm just saying they've got a guy, but I don't understand. He's free, and and he's and the evidence they presented is basically well. You know, he failed at bud, so he's probably pissed. Maybe he was pissed. Who knows? But burning down a ship. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I'll don't tell you what. I read it. I read it, and I thought this guy's gonna walk. And but I will tell you this, and to echo what everybody said. This will suck the oxygen out of <clears throat> out of the room. 
This ship was designed, built specifically to contain damage all throughout that ship. You know, and, and again, I don't care what scaffolding's in. I don't care what lines are in there. You can disconnect them. You can rip down the scaffolding. Scaffolding That doesn't take three days to do. And how, how this ship burns in port is, should, should, should have everybody's interest in, in the United States Navy. And I said, this is going to be a tough six months for the Navy because there's, gonna, there's this piece of news that's going to drop. The USS Somerset investigation is going to drop, and that is not going to make them look good. And then the BHR you know, damage control effort is not going to make them look good. So Navy's got some, some, some work to do. The, um, how much time do we have left? I wanted to ask a question. Gloria. Yeah, but that's not why. There was one other thing that I wanted to talk about real quick. The um, I so for those of you who don't know, I I got an email from Representative Elaine Luria, uh, Naval Academy class of I'm not exactly sure, but not too much behind Will, and um, and and so let me just let me read um what she let me read the clarifications that she she wrote to me um just just a couple of points to clarify that your participants brought up in the podcast someone mentioned that you would need a 50% increase in the budget for it to be effective not 5% the 5% increase i propose is in fact a 50% increase in the ship budget shipbuilding budget so so Whoa. yeah, how about that? Wow. Boom. Two. Someone questioned the forward deployed presence of two ships to get one year of presence. This is actually less than the current model used in Japan, where we get one point three two presence for every two ships. Three. In my bio, when I say I served the entire the entirety of my career on com- on combatant ships, it is to say that prior to nineteen ninety five repeal of the Combat Exclusion Act, women were not allowed to serve at sea. So the six ships which I served were all combatant ships. I did two periods of shore duty in my career, totaling about four years. Thank you for your efforts in combating veteran suicide and PTSD, blah, 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 blah. Um, One, so I'm standing in the DMV um, on Monday, and I get an email from Elaine Luria. And I look at my phone. My phone buzzes. I look. And this is never – I've never had a representative – Right? Or anybody in the defense establishment, like, email me and say, one, thank you for, you know, um, discussing her article, advocating, you know, a new maritime strategy. That was the first line. Um, and two, so I email back and say, hey, thank you for your, thank you for the email. Do you have time to talk? She emails back. Yeah. What's your cell number? And she calls me. And the conversation ensued about her article and then about post-traumatic winning. I, I will tell you, I mean, we talked about um, that even with Tim's broad mental reservation about her party affiliation, right, that she's the kind of person when you watch her questioning in these hearings that gives you hope, right, for the democracy and for the DOD as a, a matter. And so the conversation was was awesome and she agreed to come on and I'd love for her to come on with the three of us. But I, I, I went back and I and I reread the you know the the article that she wrote. And so to me, I, I think it would be uh interesting, informative and enjoyable to have her on with us and to, to, to let her dry, 
you know, go deeper into these things that she wrote because she essentially agrees with Will, right? Because that Will said that you need a fifty percent increase in the budget, and she says that that five percent is is exactly that. And then I, I'd love to drill down into the two to one is actually right a more generous proposition than one point three two to one. Yeah, right? and, and that's the thing; those numbers are a little congressional. So she says in Japan, you know, we're getting that, but the the force in Japan depends on the base force in the U.S. as well. You know, it's not an independent activity. The, 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 those ships are being supported by a base force in the U.S. So that's, I'm not, that's a little statistics there. And then the plus 5%, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but so the Navy budget's like $130 billion off the top of my head, probably a little bit more. So plus 5% is like plus um, six and a half billion dollars and the idea that six and a half billion dollars is a 50 percent plus up in the shipbuilding budget then what the fuck is the navy doing with the rest of the money so that means 130 billion is six and a half billion is 50 percent plus up so that means that less than 10 percent of the budget is going to shipbuilding as it is that's the question that ought to be asked then well then we'll we'll ask her no i mean let me just tell you this is what i think this is the part of this stuff that we enjoy the most Right. Show us the footnotes. How do we get there? And and having, you know, this discussion with smart people, you know, who are trying to make a difference. So. So anyway, can can I issue my own clarification? Sure. Yeah. I I think the record will state that Timmy said, despite the fact that she doesn't see issues the same way I do, I'm thrilled. I believe was the word I used that she's in Congress. And I hope there's many more because because I'm a big fan. Uh, despite and the Democrat and the that, way that she's, well, and, and I will tell you this. And I, I want to make a clarification. Well, hold on. Let me let me just, let me, let me just bef- before the clarification, the she's. I think I included this in in with our segment, but she does this forty-five minute interview with I don't know who he is, but he's a naval guy, former I think Navy officer, with an organization called the Hudson. Um, in the Hudson Institute, and it's a pretty in-depth Navy-centric, you know, budget footnoted, um, uh, 45-minute discussion that I I I watched, um, I, you know, last week I watched it, and then she referenced it in her email. I I would refer that to you as, for those of you that are interested in as as as, as Will said the stuff that nobody else cares about. Right, that we that we fixate on. Um, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, watch that video. Um, just type in Luria Hudson, and you'll see, and, and it'll pop up. But it's a pretty good, um, nuanced discussion about the things that we're talking about. So I'd love to do that with her. Yeah. So clarification. You said the thing that we enjoy most is these in-depth discussion with the footnotes, etc. That's false. The thing that we enjoy most is making fun of Jeff. <laughs> that is cold, man. No, Jeff but, makes fun of himself too much. We enjoy making fun of you the most because you you don't take it well. <laughs> take what? Exactly. Exactly the point. Exactly the point. All right. All right. No, I mean, let me just tell you. Talk about. I mean, talk about a breath of fresh air. And after the phone call, I was like. 
What the? I mean, and I'm standing in the DMV. I'm actually, and she hangs in with the phone conversation while I'm at the window trying to finish the registration on my car because I had to go get it smogged. And she's like, no problem. And I'm like, then I hang up and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Right? Yeah. Talking about cognitive dissonance in the DMV <laughs> while someone from Congress is actually calling you like you're their boss. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. How about that? And I have to say oh. this. The DMV, I would tell you, got high marks from me on Monday. I did, I had to make two separate trips there. They had a ton of people working. Lines moved fast. People out talking to people in lines. What do you need? Come right this way. So I have to tell you, you don't hear too many good news stories about the DMV ever, and I don't care where you're at. But uh, the Costa Mesa DMV does a lot of business. Costa Mesa Newport Beach DMV, high marks. I grabbed one of the dudes who was working the line, and I said, hey, I just want to say what you're doing here is fantastic. And he looked at me and goes, thank you. I said, no, I'm sure, you're, I'm sure your job sucks most days because of the ordinary people that show up and they're prepared for this to be screwed up. But, and you stand out here and take it on the chin. Uh, I just want you to know, I thought you did well and it was good. So anyway, things, things you thought you'd never say. Jeffrey? No, I was going to say, I, I need to go to the DMV myself here. And I was trying to, I was girding my loins for it because usually it's pretty <laughs> frustrating and unpleasant. But so... No, uh, but like, remember, I gave you the tip about the. Uh, I shouldn't even say it on here because we might ruin it. The part of Camp Pendleton that has a good passing ID. Yeah, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to ruin it. It's like a. It's almost like a pleasure to get another ID card. Yeah, it's so well done. No, uh, I, but that day, I took my you know my tablet. I took my phone. I made so sure they were both fully charged when I left. Because right. right, you're going to be there for four or five hours. I was there for maybe 15 minutes. Thanks to Jeffrey. Good. So I'm going to go to Costa Mesa then. And get my- <laughs> no, well, the place. thing you need to do is make sure you make a make an appointment. Yeah. And there then you go. Yeah, then you walk right in and, and you don't wait. But I, I, it, this was kind of a target of opportunity that came up. So I just said, I'll, I'll go down there at 7.15 in the morning. And I did. And then I had to go back at um, – I had to go. I had to get my my truck smogged, and I did. And uh, those guys were pretty fun. And uh, then went back to the DMV, got in line a second time, blew through that thing, and then in the middle of it, Representative Elaine Luria called me. And as I'm leaving, I thought, you know what? I will never forget. This, and that was only two good things happened to me in the day. So I knew there was a third one that was waiting for me because these things happen in three. So, so that means if I go. I'll be there, and uh, Nancy Pelosi will call me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think on her worst day she's gone. <laughs> she's calling you. All right, what are you reading, Timmy? Theodore Rex. I'm on the second volume of the Edmund uh, Morris trilogy on on Mr. Roosevelt. And I, what's interesting is back in 1900 or so, or 19 or in the in the turn of that century, people would have been engrossed in what we talked about because all the news of the day concerned politics or business or some kind of there's no there was no entertainment industry no professional sports leagues it's 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 interesting how how closely everything that was happening at the white house was covered in the press back then very very different 
but then again, as old white guys, we'd be we'd be used to that because that's sort of how it was when we were growing up. But it's just a an interesting comparison to the modern day. Jeffrey, what are you reading? So I was reading the same book Timmy is, and uh, I'm almost finished with volume one again. But I left it in Las Vegas, and <laughs> I'm down here in in San Clemente. But I have to tell you, just like Timmy, I'm reading all that stuff. There's a lot of good factoids about what we now would call the ragtime era, right? Mm-hmm early 19th, the first decade and a half or so of, uh, of the 20th century. So I'm going to read, I, I just start, I, I'm going to get on my Kindle, uh, the book Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow, which is a great book. And uh, I'm going to read that again because it's very entertaining. It basically takes, uh, you know, real things that happen and, and, and weaves fictional characters through them. So that's it. Got it. William, what are you reading? I'm on the uh, the third volume of the Atkinson trilogy by World War II, Guns at Last Light. So they're just in uh, the Battle of the Bulge. And uh, I think I've said it every week for about the last two or three weeks. This is a great, great series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that that's get, has gotten woven in is um, how different the army in world war two was as composed to uh, the modern day. These guys basically drank and looted their way across Europe and general officers had <laughs> general officers had no problem living the life of luxury. Um, no problem with it at all. And the idea that you shared privation with your subordinates would have been laughed off the planet by a whole lot of them. Very different attitude than today's military. Um, and, uh, you know, he uh, he's really good at just sort of exposing, um, you know, historical controversies, and he gets into how decisions were made. Uh, and it's good because he, he's presenting you with the evidence that people had and the ability. And so he doesn't just vilify people based on the result, um, but he talks about, how things led up to just some terrible decisions and terrible outcomes. Um, so it's re- it's really good. Highly recommended. Not if you're a Bernard Montgomery fan, you don't. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that's an interesting story there. Democracy dies in darkness. The um, yeah, you could live pretty well with nobody got a television camera. Right. You can have your own little empire. You, you know, you can have your own little fiefdom there. Um, well, he's talking about General Lee. Yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of, too. A, that guy was he is the even even with that prevailing attitude that Will talks about in the book. He, he's even uh, he's so bad, at, so egregious that it actually stands out over there. Probably the most hated general officer in the European theater uh, by other generals. James oh, he, he looted Paris more thoroughly than the Nazis. They limited him for, for taking over all their five-star hotels and stuff. The guy was a complete ass. And he was incompetent. That's why you had the Red Ball Express, because he couldn't get mechanics and engine oil and crap like that over to, to do maintenance on the trucks. I mean, all that stuff was on he him. He has a workaround. Yeah, exactly. Tell me if you've ever heard anything like this. Um, I got an email this morning from a guy who, who's listened, who listens, whose son told him about all Marine radio. Um, he writes this, my son is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. 
He's a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps, an infantry officer. Whoa. Turned me on to All Marine Radio a couple of years ago. Have you ever heard of an Air Force Academy? Bellinger. Bellinger. Oh, Bellinger. really? Yeah, Mel was Air Force Academy. <laughs> I thought I I forgot about Mel. Sorry, Mel. But um, you don't <laughs> you don't. That's not a path well traveled. No, cognitive dissonance right there. <laughs> after after remember, you left, after you left two out military seat. services. There's two military services: the Army and the Navy. The Air Force is a corporation. The Marine Corps is a cult. So he went from one side all the way to the other. <laughs> yeah, Mel. I went to a basic school with Mel before, and we went to IOC together. There was about eight guys from Naval from the Air Force Academy there. And it was the class that most has mostly Naval Academy grads in it, you know, the summer class of uh, 87. And, um, yeah, Mel, that's where I met Mel. He had hair then. How bizarre is that? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, that after you left IOC, Mac, they, they had a, the number one, the, the whatever the first guy that graduated, the number one slot from the Air Force Academy, he went through TBS and IOC as he was a smart, smart kid as some kind of uh, the number I, I'm not one, sure the what number the one was. The number one, uh, yeah, the number one guy. And he went and I and he went through IOC. Alan was still there, and um and and basically after that kid left, it was uh, the Air Force was like we're we're not we're not doing this because the kid was <laughs> we're doing everything wrong. We got to be like TBS. The, the, the guy went back to the Air Force oh, saying this is it. we're we're. Uh, we're missing the boat on some of the things we're doing, but boy, that kid loved ISO, IOC. Loved it. And he was a smart big dude too. The um no, you know, again, for those of you who don't know, the basic school is a one of its kind um school. And I it's one of the things that makes being a Marine officer different. We all go to the same course for about five and a half, six months, and you become a basic officer. It is an investment truly in the enlisted force because we send out across the board higher qualified, higher functioning second lieutenants because they have this incubator, this leadership incubator that they live in for six months, right? And they get exposed to enlisted leadership. They they get in, exposed to all kinds of th- stuff, and they gain a lot of confidence there. And But the Marine Corps is the only service that does it. Everybody else should go from officer candidate school to your military specialty school to go to work. Marine Corps – takes probably twice as much time in that incubator, which tends to produce a, a better uh, product. Not tends to, does produce a better product. And then people from other services come to this, and they're like, oh, man, why don't we do that? And I remember seeing junior officers come aboard the Ranger with their, you know, surface warfare officer school that they went to. And, I mean, they were out of college, maybe NROTC guys for, what, three months, 90 days or so? And boom, now you're on a ship. And you're not ready, to, as opposed to we, who were, had been on active duty for probably close to a year. Not even close. Day and night difference in level of confidence as you came to. So, anyway. Hi, boys. I appreciate, as always, the, the visit. Um, Jeffrey, enjoy Southern California. And uh, Thank you. Well, yeah, yeah. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. All right, brother. Have a good day, Mac. That'll do it on a Thursday. My thanks to the Mensa brothers, as always. So this meritocracy is an interesting subject, and we'll continue to talk about it. Because you won't see it discussed too many other places. You'll see statements like Will Red, you know, that a lot of boilerplate to him, 
You won't see too many hard questions asked by him because nobody wants to talk about it. So, again, and thanks for listening on this Thursday. I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. Have a great Thursday. I'm out.